Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, good morning and happy Thanksgiving, everyone. How are y'all? All right, you're alive. That's good. Well, hey, um, before I jump into the message for today, I do want to give you a report on last week. If you were not here last week, we did our Be the Blessing weekend. Uh, and every uh, year in November, for the last several years, we've circled around this idea of generosity and how we can be a blessing to our community. And so last week, I challenged you all to participate four ways in being generous and kind of get the flywheel of generosity going in your own life. And so we were going to do a food drive, which we are going to hand out next weekend, be here. We're going to hand out the bags and lists of things to bring in for the food drive. So we're doing that. Uh, we are volunteering in a variety of ways around the community. And so many of you have signed up to volunteer. And I want to encourage you, if you have not signed up to volunteer, watch the message online, then go sign up and volunteer. Those volunteer opportunities will be coming up over the next couple of weeks and into the new year, but you need to get signed up. And then... Um, what else were we doing? We, oh, Operation Christmas Child. So you saw the truck parked out front on your way in today, and we're collecting boxes, and I'll let you know next week how many we, we did. But uh, that's we've had people at the warehouse all week kind of prepping and getting stuff ready for that. And so that's been fantastic. And we did a special offering last weekend to try and raise $25,000 to um, support and do all these projects for all of our community partners, you guys last weekend gave, are you ready for this? $65,000. Yeah. So way to go. We are going to have so much fun this year being the blessing in our community. And uh, we've just got, uh, that, that really enables us to be able to respond decisively, quickly, and generously to need as it comes up in our community and be the blessing throughout the year. And so, wow, way to go in your church. You guys are amazing. And um, if you haven't participated, it's not too late. So go check out that message online and then uh, you can jump in in all those ways that we talked about. All right. So... We were talking about what the next sermon series needed to be uh, as we were discussing this. One of the th issues that comes up over and over again in conversations, in times of prayer, in times of sharing, is this idea of anxiety and fear. It seems to be more widespread than it has ever been, uh, and certainly the, the research and the data is backing that up. It is, we're more aware of it than we've ever been. Uh, I have friends, uh, close friends, uh, people that you would look at and go, oh, they'd never deal with that, uh, who have ended up in the ER uh, thinking they're having a heart attack because you know, their, their chest hurts and their vision is narrowing and all this other stuff, and it turns out they were having panic attacks. And that is becoming a very, very common thing. In fact, 77% of Americans <laughs> deal with physiological repercussions of stress on a regular basis. And what I discovered is stress is a big deal. Uh, and in fact, uh, not all panic attacks are associated with fear and anxiety. Certainly fear and anxiety can, can, can feed that and they're related, but it's a stress issue and it's kind of like an allergy. You know, if you're allergic to something, you get a little bit of something that's not really a threat to your body in your body and your body overreacts to that. 
And that's an allergic reaction. Well, that's kind of what a panic attack is. It can be stress and your body overreacts to that stressor. And there's no shame in that. And that's something that is growing and spreading through society at large in a really big way. So what I decided is, because I can't talk about, I don't have enough time in this series to talk about stresses. We need to come back around next year and really talk about stress. Because I do believe God has uh, ways for us to live that, that really deal with that. And so we're going to talk about that next year. What we're going to talk about in this series and today is stress and anxiety because it is everywhere, everywhere we look. The National Institute of Mental Health says that nearly 20%, that's one in five Americans, experience an anxiety disorder in a given year. Over 30%, that's one in three about, one in three Americans will deal with an anxiety disorder over the course of their lifetimes. This is everywhere. And if you're not experiencing it or if you haven't experienced it, I guarantee you know several people who are and do. It's everywhere. The American Psychiatric Association said that a statistically that we have seen a statistically significant increase in national anxiety since 2017. There's something going on in the culture that this is on the rise. I mean, that's just two years ago, and we've seen a statistically significant increase. Um, author Ben Glasner, also president of Lewis and Clark College, wrote a book recently called The Culture of Fear, and he said this, part of what I find interesting about this is that overall, most Americans live in what is arguably the safest time and place in human history. And when you think about it and you take a couple steps back, that's absolutely right. I mean, it used to be that if you got a cold, you could die from the cold. Very, very rarely do people die of a cold these days because we've got modern medicine or an infection or anything else. It's very unlikely that these basic things, you know, you, you get a cut, you can get an infection and die. That doesn't happen anymore. It used to be the culture was very violent we're, and it's not as, I mean, is, there's still violence, but it's not nearly as dangerous as it once was. But we think that it is, right? Statistically speaking, it's way safer today than it was in the 70s when I grew up. And yet there seems to be so much more anxiety today than there existed back then. Does you, you following what I'm saying? Following what he's saying? So he says, and yet fear levels are high and there are many, many fears and scares out there. He goes on to say that we're living in the most fear-mongering time in human history. And the main reason for this is that there's a lot of power and money available to individuals and organizations who can perpetuate these fears. People are making a lot of money based on stoking the fires of fears and they can get their messages out on, you know, social media and the regular media and, and everywhere else. And so we're so much more aware of things that maybe we shouldn't even be afraid of, but we are afraid of because people are making money on it and making money on us. Something has shifted and we don't have time to unpack all of that, but it's important to know. Now, as we deal with this, these topics of fear and anxiety, it's important to understand the definition of, of these things. And so fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Fear is a response, an emotional response to a threat, something that can harm us. So in that respect, fear is a good thing, right? If I'm standing on the railroad tracks and there's a train coming at me, 
fear is an appropriate response and it will motivate me to do what? Step off the railroad tracks. That's actually a good thing to do. If I don't have a job and I'm looking at my finances and thinking I'm not going to be able to pay the bills and that scares me, that motivates me hopefully to get a job. Fear can be a good thing. It's the flight, fight or flight response. You know, I, I can get out of the way. In fact, our bodies will release um, hormones, adrenaline being one, that, that give us power and strength beyond what we normally have to deal with the dangerous situation that we're dealing with, to either run away really fast or to overcome the situation. This is where you, you, know, you hear stories about moms who lift cars up so their pinned husband can get out from underneath the car. That's that adrenaline response, that flight or fight, fight or flight response. Um, we were at man camp several weeks ago. I guess it would have been about a month and a half ago. And there was a guy there named Zach. Zach's this big, burly, mountain man kind of guy. And he just got back from Montana. He was out there hunting. And as he was hunting one day, over the hill came a mama grizzly bear. All right. And he sees this mama grizzly bear and she sees him and she decides to charge. And she comes running full speed at Zach. Well, Zach goes for his gun and, 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 and can't get the gun out of the holster. And it was a, a surprise. And then he reaches for the bear spray and he sprays this cloud of pepper spray. And the bear runs into the pepper spray and cries a little bit and then runs away. It didn't really cry, but it did run away. All right. So fear worked for Zach in that situation. Can we agree? You know, if Zach just sat there and go, ah, hey, look, it's a mama grizzly bear. He would have been a bear snack. And he wasn't. So fear can be a good thing. Now, where fear paralyzes us, that's when it becomes a bad thing. All right, and so we have to be careful of that. But fear's cousin is anxiety. All right, and anxiety is this. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. I love that. We don't even know if it's going to turn out bad or not, but we're going to worry about it, right? And, and so... Anxiety is where fear crosses over into a mindset. It's where we begin to fear things that might not even be dangerous or wrong or whatever, but we're gonna, we are going to become obsessively mindful of everything that can go wrong. All right, and anxiety is a prison. Anxiety can, be, uh, can, can just lock you down. It's an anticipation of the catastrophic Therapists call it anticipatory anxiety. I'm just, I can sit here and I can anticipate everything that could go wrong and I'm, I'm afraid because of it. And it starts to impact the way you live. And there are people who will not go out in public or go to crowded places. There are some of you who are sitting in the aisle row or the aisle seat because you're afraid of sitting on the inside seat. And, and we can go down the line. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that, all right? Um, that's just reality. There's some of us that deal with that. This anxiety thing gets a, gets a grip in our lives. There are people who are afraid to go against the flow of culture because people, what will other people think? They're so, that social anxiety and social pressure. And so what fear begins to do, what anxiety begins to do is it begins to control our lives and then we are a slave to fear. And God doesn't want us to be a slave to fear. And now I need to say on the front end, God's, if you're dealing with fear and anxiety, God's not mad at you. 
He loves you and he invites you to walk through it and out of it. Right? And as we read the Bible, what it says over and over again is fear not, don't be afraid, be anxious about nothing. We're going to look at that passage today. Right? But it's always accompanied with I'm with you. I've got you. It's, it's an invitation to not be afraid because you don't need to be. God is with you. But getting that in here and in here is the trick. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I, and I need to say, there's no shame. If you're wrestling with this issue, there is no shame. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. And I'm here to tell you there's a way out. The other side of that is, is those of us who kind of wear worry and, and anxiety as a badge of honor. Now, I, on, on one side of my family, I am 100% Sicilian. And if you've ever met a Sicilian grandmother, Sicilian grandmothers pride themselves in their worry, right? My nana, who, who passed away years ago, would worry about everything. Instead of saying, I love you, she would say, I'm worrying about you. That's how she said, I love you. Now, I'm worried about, do you, do you have clean underwear on? She worried whether I had clean underwear on because I might end up in the hospital and somebody would see dirty underwear or underwear with a hole in it or something. And I'm like, to this day, I wear holy underwear just in case. I'm just kidding. Just to make none of God rest your soul. Listen to me. Worry is not a badge of honor. It does not show that you love people it just shows that you are obsessively thinking about all the bad things that could go wrong, and God doesn't want you to live that way. He's got better for you. So, the next three weeks, we're going to unpack how to walk through and out of fear and anxiety. And uh, my hope is that this is super practical. Today's message is uh, I am very, very hesitant to go, here's five easy steps because there aren't five easy steps to anything. But today we're going to talk about five practices that if you will put them in place in your life will synergistically just do amazing things for you, for anyone who will do them. And so we're going to talk about those here in a moment. Before we do, you need to understand some, a dynamic to fear, and that's this. Fear that there, there can be a spiritual dynamic to fear. There can be a spiritual dynamic to fear. All, all fear and anxiety is not spiritual in root cause or nature, but a lot of times it is. And there is a spiritual dynamic to walking out of it. You need spiritual help in walking out of it. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 the Apostle Paul is writing to his young disciple, Timothy, who's pastoring a church, and, and he says this. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, Christians will argue whether there is a demonic spirit called fear, and we will address it as fear. I don't lean in that direction so much, but there's a lot of Christians who would argue that. And others would say, no, nah, there's just, you know, there's, there's certainly you know, evil spirits and demonic spirits and that kind of stuff, but I don't know about the name or whatever. I don't really think that's what Paul's addressing here, though, because the same word for fear, the same word in the Greek for fear is the word for attitude. God has not given us an attitude of fear. He's not given us a mindset of fear. But 
when he switches, I think he's doing a word play here. He switches into the next sentence and he says, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, what he's describing there very clearly is the power, presence, and work of the Holy Spirit. God hasn't given us an attitude of, of fear, but he has given us his spirit who is more powerful than any attitude. Or if it's a spirit, you know, and I'm, and, and any spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, he, Paul, Paul writes about how he is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the, the grave and he lives inside of us. He, he talks about how the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans pours God's love into our hearts. It's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. How God, God's perspective frees our mind in the ways, way that we think and and gives us a sound mind. He's talking about the Spirit of God. And there can be a spiritual dynamic. In fact, I would say usually is a spiritual dynamic to dealing with fear. And so if you're dealing with anxiety in your life or irrational fear, the first thing you need to do is just call out to God and say, God, rescue me. God, fill me with your spirit. I need your power, your love, and your mind in mind to be able to overcome that. And you do. And so just stop where you are right now and call out to God if you're dealing with that because that's where you need to start. Next week, we're going to focus primarily on renewing our minds. This week, it's kind of a mix of the two. And, and as I sat down to put this sermon together, what I realized is I stumbled onto, I, I think you take the five things we're going, to, we're going to talk about today that just kind of jump out of this passage and you add relational connection, fellowship, community to it, and you can overcome just about anything you're dealing with in life. I, I think uh, the principles and the practices we're about to talk about are so powerful. They're, they're powerful psychologically, they're powerful emotionally, and they're powerful spiritually. And each one of them could change significantly your inner world. But when you put these five things together, look out. This is big, big stuff. And so we're going to be reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. So if you brought your Bibles, you can open up there. Before I jump in and read, though, I want to pray. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, pray that you give me your words to speak. I pray that you would give all of us, Lord, just the ears to hear what your spirit is saying to, to us, each one. Lord, I pray for those who are in the midst of anxiety and fear right now that you would bring freedom to their lives, to their hearts, to their worlds. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be able to live uh, just better lives because of what we're going to learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read this together. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As I sat down and opened this up, I've never really seen this passage this way before. It's one of my favorite passages. I pray this over people all the time because I'm constantly talking to people who are dealing with the issue of fear. And I love this passage, but I've never seen it this way before. 
And to me, just jumping off the page as I sat down and started pulling this apart was like, man, there's five things. He gives us five things. And each one of them, I know each one of them is just revolutionary. So let's look at what these five things are. And here's what I would say. If you're not dealing with anxiety and you're not dealing with fear presently, you put these five things into practice in your life and your life will get better and you'll get better at life. This, this, this is for all of us, dealing with fear or not. So don't check out if you're not dealing with fear at the moment because these practices transform our inner world. First one, worship even when life is hard. Worship even when life is hard. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, I don't think Paul is talking about, you know, kind of putting on a plastic smile and going around and going, oh, God is good all the time when, you know, your life is falling apart. I don't think God wants us to be inauthentic. I don't think he wants us to call bad things and difficult things good. Are we clear on that? I mean, uh, we Christians are really good at this. I mean, we are screaming at the kids all the way to church, get out of the car, the greeters out there, hey, how's it going? Oh, God's good all the time, brother. <laughs> Bull crap. That is not the case. You are having a bad day. It's okay to have a bad day. All right, now it's, it's, what Paul is saying here is when life is hard, choose to worship God anyway. Choose to worship God even when life is difficult. So often people will stop worshiping God. They'll stop coming to church when life gets difficult because, well, I'm not, because God's not coming through for me, right? Listen to me. If you worship God, if your worship of God is based on his blessing you, you're not a Christian, you're a narcissist. Faith is not all about you. It's about him. And there will come times, Jesus promised, in this world, you will have trouble. And that's not just for Christians. That's, that's a human thing. You don't get off the planet without some difficulty along the way, without something going wrong. Usually, many things will go wrong. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to choose to worship God. One of the things that will happen inevitably in your journey with Jesus is that you will come to a place where you're like, where are you? I don't feel you anymore, right? So all these folks that got baptized last weekend, they're like, oh, it was the most powerful experience. It was amazing and God is good. And I was praying and he, he spoke to me and, and this and that. And eventually, and this has been documented, documented through the centuries, in your personal journey with God, you'll go along, you'll go along. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't feel God. Like my prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. Where, where's God? And, it's, and in his word, he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I'm always with you, right? But you're not feeling him. Now, what, what this has been called is the dark night of the soul. It's a common experience. It's part of the journey. And what God is doing is he's calling your faith deeper. He's calling your, your faith to put down roots in him that's not based on feeling, but based on the fact that he is with you and based on his word. And so what, but what a lot of people do is like, well, I'm not feeling it. So I'm going to go find something else that I'm feeling it. And he's like, no, 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 no. You choose to worship me even when you're not feeling it. All right. Job, the Old Testament guy, had a blessed life by every standard. And the devil wanted to test him and basically took from him everything, including his health, that he valued. 
And he was confused and disoriented, as you could imagine, and didn't know what to do with it. And it's like, God, are you doing this to me? What's, what's going on? Have I done something wrong? All the same questions that you and I would ask along the way. And by chapter 13 of the book of Job, he comes to this conclusion. He goes, though he slay me, and it wasn't God who was, who was doing this to, to Job, but Job didn't know. He was, he was just trying to figure it out. And so he says, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job chose to worship God, chose to, as much as he could, rejoice in the Lord, to, even in the midst of his trial, even in the midst of his pain, even in the midst of his loss. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And worship, guys, is simply just declaring that God is who he is. I mean, we think of music, and music's a great way to worship God. It's not the only way. We worship him in, in our church services. We worship him when we get our Bibles out and we pray and spend time with him and we declare who he is. And, and, and just to dispel the myth that it's, you know, it's plastic smiles all the time, read the book of Psalms. So many of the Psalms start out as laments. It's David, King David, writing a lament and I'm just in despair. And by the end, he's saying, yet I will choose to worship you. God has room for our journey there and for our, for our struggle as well. But in the end, worship even when life is hard. Guys, this is a powerful practice and it's a choice. Second, forgive everyone always. Forgive everyone always. He goes on in verse 5, says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, we think of the word gentleness and we think weakness, but that's not really the, the, what this means. What, it, what he's talking about is being Christ-like, being gracious and kind and forgiving, turning the other cheek. And this idea of forgiveness is so powerful. In fact, I've seen, again, over and over again, just doing this ministry thing for as long as I've been doing it, so many people jacked up by bitterness and unforgiveness. And it will manifest itself in fear because it makes you psychologically and emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. And it will make you physically unhealthy ultimately as well. So, you know, my question to you is if you're dealing with, with these issues, and even if you're not, who do you need to forgive? This is a great daily practice. Lord, so-and-so really offended me. I'm going to choose to forgive them and let it go and let it go because it will steal your peace if you don't. Number three, remember that God is with you. He says, the Lord is near. God is with you. Over and over again through Scripture, fear not, don't be afraid. I am with you, says the Lord. I will never leave you, says the Lord. I will never forsake you, says the Lord. God will not walk. Even in the middle of the dark night of the soul when you're like, I just don't feel like my prayers are getting through. I don't feel like, no, God is still there. You have to remind yourself of the truth because our feelings aren't always the truth. Somebody needs to write that down. That's good. That'll preach. 
Follow your feelings and you will forever be on a roller coaster. Don't ignore your feelings. Don't follow. There is a truth that's bigger than what you're feeling from any given moment. And if God is with you, who can be against you? If God is with you, what could possibly harm you? And then he goes on and he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. Pray. You got to pray to make it today, as one great theologian said. That's completely lost on you guys. That's all right. We won't, we won't stop. You know what prayer does? Prayer stops the crazy. Prayer stops that, that cyclical obsessive thinking when we go, okay, I'm thinking and I'm obsessing about this thing. I'm going to stop, intentionally stop, and I'm going to bring this to God. And what I do when I'm dealing with anxiety and fear is I will close my eyes and I will picture myself lifting whatever it is that's weighing me down, whatever it is that I'm carrying off my heart and bringing it to God and saying, God, here's the situation that I'm dealing with. Here's the situation that I'm afraid of. And I need you to carry this. And just picture myself giving it to him and him lifting it and carrying it. And, and you can do that as often as you need to. As often as you need to. And what prayer does is, again, it reminds us that he's with us. It reminds us that he's God, that he's, he's large and in charge. And it breaks the cycle of obsessive thinking. And it releases the power of God. It does all those things. So if you're dealing with anxiety, my encouragement to you would be as often as you deal, as often as things cycle up for you and you're like, stop and walk through these five things along with the prayer and give it to him. And if you're not, but you have a propensity to deal with anxiety, you have a propensity to go to the negative side of things, then, then you need to begin to reprogram your thinking and your brain. And you might even want to set an alarm on your phone for four or five times a day where you stop and you walk through these five things and it will begin to reprogram your neurology. Did you know that? That our mindsets, the way we think about things, some of us are the glass is half empty and some of us the glass is half full, right? Well, what happens is that's a mindset. That has nothing to do with your, your, your neurology except that if you think that way long enough, it gets wired into your brain and you can reprogram that. If you think the other way, they're saying now, uh, neurologists are saying 63 days. If you intentionally break that cycle and th go to the positive side, that it will begin to remap your neurology. And, uh, and then you will have a propensity to go in the other direction. It's powerful stuff. Pray. So stop four times a day, stop and pray. If you're dealing with it ongoing, stop whenever you need to and pray. And then the fifth thing is this. An attitude of gratitude will lift you from your saditude. I know that's awful. I can't believe I wrote that. But when I wrote that down... I was like, that, that's the cheesiest 
thing I have ever heard, but they're going to remember it. So I'm going to leave it there. So just know that I know that that's really cheesy. But an attitude of satitude will lift, an attitude of gratitude will lift you from your satitude. He says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. Guys, it's the week of Thanksgiving. I would suggest to you that that developing and nurturing an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving, one of the most powerful things you can do for your mental health, your emotional well-being, your spiritual health, and everything else. Like I said, every one of these things is profound. This one's really profound and really timely. And again, it breaks the cycle of negative thinking. It conditions our brains to expect positive things, not negative things. And it reminds us that God has come through over and over and over again, and that he will come through again. I uh, did a little search on the psychological impacts of gratitude. And uh, there was an article from Psychology Today that came up uh, and I start, read through it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Seven things that uh, they came up with in this article that have been scientifically researched and proven to be significant impacts of gratitude. Uh, and the first one is that just that gratitude opens the door to more relationships. And relationally, people want to hang out with people who are grateful. They don't really want to hang out with ungrateful people. And, and as we develop more relational connections, we become healthier people. It just happens over time. Secondly, gratitude improves physical health. Like how? It does. They have found that grateful people experience fewer aches and pains. Really? Yeah. Fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier. Three, gratitude improves psychological health. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions from envy and resentment to frustration and regret. Wow. Gratitude enhances empathy and reduces aggression. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Isn't it amazing the way these feed one another? And five, grateful people sleep better. They went as far as to recommend, I think they did a study on this, that if you keep a gratitude journal, right, and you get it out at nighttime before bed, and for 15 minutes you just write down all the things you're grateful for, you will actually sleep better at night. They've done studies on that. Like it has that impact. It's not a bad idea. Maybe you need to get a gratitude journal. Six, gratitude improves self-esteem. People who are grateful generally feel better about themselves because they're looking at life through that lens. And seven, gratitude increases mental strength. They found PTSD victims, people, uh, both combat veterans and 9-11 survivors, uh, those with an attitude of gratitude came through their difficulty and their, their PTSD much stronger than those without so this week, guys, it's Thanksgiving, great week to make a list. So you sit around the table with your crazy family, go, is your family crazy? Yeah, my family's here this week. I got dinner with 18 people all week long. God bless you. You only have one dinner. Like, just kidding, guys. Love you. really do. Um, it's going to be so fun. They're here. And I just insulted all of them. It's going to be an interesting week. Um, 
No, so when you're sitting around all week long or Thanksgiving, whatever, share what you're grateful for. Make a list. Get a gratitude journal. Develop the attitude of gratitude. It will lift you from your satitude. And you can repeat that if you want, but it's really bad. And here's the promise that Paul gives us. He says, in the peace of God, the peace of God, not your peace, God's peace. He's speaking to a group of people who are being persecuted for their faith, who, who people among their, their number have been killed or are under threat. And in the midst of that, he's saying, God's peace will be with you. God, the peace of God, which defies all understanding, it transcends understanding, it's a supernatural peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not just a heart thing. It's not just a spiritual thing. It's not just an emotional thing. It's a mental thing too. And Jesus covers all of that. It's a supernatural peace. But we have to cooperate. See, what we want to happen is we want God to zap us. Supernatural peace. There you go. And what God invites us to do is to walk with him and cooperate with him in all of this. The promise is peace. And these five things, they unlock powerful psychological tools and they unlock powerful spiritual dynamics in our lives. And we literally have the presence of God standing guard around our hearts in our minds in Christ Jesus. How cool is that? And this may seem simplistic. I mean, these five things, but they're, each one of them is a powerful practice. They're not an instant fix. You're not going to go home and go, okay, well, spent 15 minutes doing what Chris said. I'm better now. Like these are things that you're going to have to develop in yourself over time and be consistent with. And as you look back a month from now, you're going to be like, wow, look how far I came. And when you look back two months and three months from now, you're going to be like, wow, I'm a different person because you have nurtured these things in your life. This is one of those messages that people love because it's practical and it's got handles and there's things that you can do. You're walking away with five things that you can do. And this is one of those messages that people hate because they just want to be zapped by God. And this issue is a little bit of both. You need the power of God at work in your life to overcome. But you need to cooperate and you need to do the work too. So this week, do these things. Do these things. Worship even when it's hard. Forgive whoever you need to forgive. For some of us, that's what you needed to hear today. There's, there is a root of bitterness in your heart and it's holding your life prisoner. And you need to let it go. Remember that God is with you always. Some of us have forgotten that. Pray, give it to God as many times a day as you need to. And nurture your attitude of gratitude. And I'm telling you these five things individually powerful. Together, life transforming. And my prayer for every one of us is that as we look back on this series, as we go into the new year, we'd be like, man, I'm no longer a slave. 
And if you're dealing with this, I want to re-emphasize, God's not mad at you. You have nothing to be ashamed of, but he is inviting you to walk out of it and into the life that he has for you, the life that he's created you for. I want to challenge everyone to memorize this passage as well. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It's not hard to do. It is a powerful passage to have tucked away in your heart. And next week, we'll come back and talk about renewing our minds. Lord, thank you so much that you created us to live in freedom, not in slavery. And Lord, we ask that you would move powerfully in every one of our lives. Meet us where we are and get us to where you're taking us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.